Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Thanks for joining me on Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. This week, June 23rd, marks the 50th anniversary of Hurricane Agnes. You wanted to hear them, so we're bringing them back again. The collaboration between WBRE and WIOU-TV and the Times Leader Media Group. Also, information about the upcoming 90-minute documentary film, Agnes, to be screened at the FM Kirby Center. This week, the first day of summer, we'll have some outdoor safety information. June is dairy month, and we're going to talk about it right here, where there are many dairy farms across the Commonwealth, and locally, too. We're starting with Maria Wilson, Executive Director of the Waverly Community House. They just received a National Park Service designation. We'll tell you all about it. Maria, welcome. It's very nice to have you here with us. The Waverly Community House, we've heard a lot about it over the years. There's always something happening. Can you give us a little bit of the background? Of the comm? I'm happy to do it. The comm's been here over 100 years. We just celebrated our centennial anniversary on uh, 2019-2020. It was it was shocking that our doors had to be closed uh, as we marked that anniversary, but um, we're coming out of it actually stronger than ever. We're a 501c3 charitable organization and with a mission to provide educational, cultural, and recreational opportunities to individuals and families in the region. And we do that year-round. The doors are open to the public without a membership. And we have everything from summer camps to educational programs to an art gallery to a preschool thrift shop. And of course, our one of our new programs, the Destination Freedom Walking Tour of Waverly. That's just it in a snapshot. And I encourage anyone who's interested to just stop by the comm anytime. And there's someone here who could give you a tour and show you around. We have outdoor recreational facilities, the playground, tennis courts, playing fields. And it's a great destination for the whole family. And a beautiful location at that. Beautiful, and I, beautiful. And, and I'm glad that you brought up the designation for Destination Freedom. Congratulations. Explain how that happened. Well, we started this program, the Walking Tour of Waverly, as part of our, our greater archive project a couple of years ago. And it is a walking tour to the historic town of Waverly. It's an educational program that focuses on the abolitionists who aided free slaves or runaway slaves on their journey north while assisting them in building, you know, one of the largest black communities in the region during the 1800s. So that program, there was a lot of interest in it. There's been a lot of interest in it. There's a self-guided tour. We have guided tours. And we've actually started a little museum here at the Com, a special exhibits gallery. So as, as the program grew and developed and became more refined, one of our staff members, Gia Ravello, uh, applied for 
designation through the National Park Service. There's an application process, which is actually quite rigorous. And first time around, we needed to do a little bit more work, but we were accepted this year into the program, which is a high honor. It's not easy to get this designation, but it really legitimizes and highlights what a great program it is. Although it had a great reputation before that, this designation is really just a high honor for it and puts us literally puts us on the map. Exactly. And you're right up there now. We have two in Lackawanna County. Yes. Well, that's what's so exciting. That's what Alexa from the Tourism Bureau was thrilled about. She thinks it's wonderful. and We agree with her. Absolutely. Because, again, not everybody can get a National Park Service designation. Now, for the folks who are not familiar with the Waverly Mm -hmm. area, can you give us a little bit of how the tour goes, what you see as you go along, where it starts, and maybe even how long it takes? Um, It's really well suited to any time frame. There's a self-guided tour that begins in the commons. Someone, they can call ahead or just come to the commons. There's a visitor center, Waverly Welcome Center. And in, in that Welcome Center, which is in one of the wings, there are maps that allow participants to do a self-guided tour. And they actually start at the common, the back of the common. It takes them around the square and up the hill to the cemetery. We do also have guided tours that are anywhere. And that process self-guided can be anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour, hour and a half, depending on how long, how far they want to go. Uh, And there are teaching materials that go with it. We also have guided tours that can be made by appointment. And those are quite popular for Families take them, small groups, large groups. The Qantas were just here. The Scouts have been here. Library just had a large group. And those can be an hour. They, they walk around. Many of the homes are around the square of the Com. If you're familiar with Waverly, set up as a historic village on, the, on a square. Many of the homes on the tour are around the square and then down Abington Road and then up uh, the hill, which is Carbondale Road to Hickory Grove Cemetery. And the tour can extend that far. And that Many people take their cars up to the cemetery, so that can take an hour and a half. But again, it can be modeled to suit people. We've had people in wheelchairs take this tour. So it's really for all ages and abilities, but it's quite lovely. And they everybody comes back to the comm at the end of the tour and can visit the special exhibits gallery if it's a guided tour. Although this summer, the gallery will be open from nine to one uh, every day. So if someone's interested, either stop by the com or call us at 570-586-8191 and ask for E.J. Murphy or information about the, the tour, and you'll be directed to the appropriate person. We also have a website, and it's waverlywalkingtours.org. And again, that will get you to someone who can help you get here just so you can take the tour. There are fees associated. That was my the next question. Tours, the, the self-guided tours are completely free. Come by, get your brochure, walk to your heart's delight. The guided tours, there is a fee associated uh, with that for the tour guide. And there's a sliding scale on those. Uh, there's a brochure, and on the website, there are costs. $50 if there's 10 or fewer people, $50 for the tour, 10 or more. It's $75. The, the full-length guided tour, which is for the hour-and-a-half, two-hour tour, it's 10 or less is $100. And if it's 10 or more, there's 150 The self-guided tour is free. We also have field trips for classrooms and um, you know visitors that worked out a, a little differently. Again, there, there's a variety of tiers of how you can do the tour. And, of course, there's always great things that are going on otherwise at the Waverly Community House. And our listeners, some of them may not even know that the Waverly Community House itself is 
a legacy in Lackawanna County. Oh, ab- absolutely. It was given as a gift by the Beelham family in tw- 1919-1920 out of affection for the community and to benefit to the community. And it's just grown and evolved uh, over the years to the point where we're serving thousands of guests and visitors, visitors, residents every year. So, you know, this summer we have a whole lineup of outdoor concerts. We have a Cars and Coffee coming up on the outdoor uh, on the 26th of June. We have an art show opening this this Friday with uh, featuring two very well-known artists on June 17th. The mission was established when it was founded and it was really the, the business model, so to speak, the vision of the economy has really survived so many economic cycles, so many different cycles over a hundred years, and it's it's really thriving. And we celebrated a hundred years really in a strong position and serving more people than ever. And, and the reach conti- continues to grow. So it's been a, it was a great gift to the community by the Beale and family, and uh, we remember and, and part of our archive project you know, recognizes that those contributions. And we do have a a small museum here that reflects on that contribution and and the calm, interesting hundred years. And when you're also talking about support, you can always use the support from the community. We can always support from the community. So even with a free guide, we have a little donation basket out. People do donate to the com, um, and we're really fortunate. And they can, you know, we take donations any any which way, um, either by calling us or checks can be mailed to the Waverly Community House, PO Box One Four Two, Waverly, PA. But we are very dependent on support from the community, and thankfully, the community. Uh, is generous. We're in the middle of our sustaining fund drive now, and everything that comes in through the sustaining fund goes to operations to keep the doors open and keep these wonderful programs uh, available. Because we, we do pride ourselves in being able to offer really top-notch local programs that are affordable uh, so that people don't have to stray too far to come hear a, you know, a wonderful concert, uh, see a beautiful film, hear a nice lecture, go to a fitness class. If the walls could talk, they would have so much to say about all the hundreds and thousands of people who've been through here over the years. There's nothing, it's very an in-person experience. We've sort of stayed away from being virtual. Even during the pandemic, we tried to keep going as much as we could in person. Well, I think now that you have the designation as part of the National Park Service, you're going to find that you're having more visitors and from outside of the area. Well, because there's this passport program with the National Park Service, and if true devotees of the National Park Service take it very seriously, and if they do the walking tour here, we do have a passport stamp, and they can get their stamp. They, they, they were at a designated site, uh, designated by the National Parks Park Service. We're just beginning to feel you know, the, the, the repercussions of having this designation, because it opens so many doors for us, and it, and it puts us on the map for so many other you know, projects and people who are who are interested in the history, you know, the larger history of this community and of the country. It's a nationally recognized program, which has national significance. So we're really proud of all the work that went into it. And once again, the calm, another example of when someone says, there's nothing to do around here. <laughs> right. Come to Lackawanna County. There's a ton of things to do here. We really feel like we're making our place alongside so many other attractions here. And I think the Tourism Bureau for Lackawanna County, um, Alexa for the tour, they do a marvelous job of promoting the area and drawing people in to the area. 
and they just have to you just have to step outside your front door to find it. You can log on to waverlycom.org or 570-586-0185 to find out more. June is Dairy Month. Dairyman Dave Smith, Pennsylvania Dairymen's Association Executive Director, is here to talk about the importance of dairy in Pennsylvania. Going back, it was January that I first had the opportunity to talk to Dave Smith, who is in charge of the Pennsylvania Dairymen's Association, otherwise known as Dairy Dave. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well, Paula. Thank you. Uh, I'm just thrilled to be able to talk to you about dairy, the dairy industry in Pennsylvania. Like I said, back in January, we were having the farm mm-hmm. show in Harrisburg. And of course, you were there with those delicious milkshakes. <laughs> wow, they were great. Now, we are back again because June is Dairy Month. And here in Pennsylvania, that's pretty big. And you're going to tell us why. Just to talk a little bit about June Dairy Month, it's a celebration for all our dairy farm families and everybody else that enjoys dairy products. It's an opportunity for us as dairy industry to talk about the dairy products we have and the great farm families we have in Pennsylvania. It's a little known fact that uh, Pennsylvania has over 5,000 family dairy farms in the state, and we, we rank second in the nation as far as the number of dairy farms we have. It's just a great opportunity for all these family farms and to tell about their businesses and talk about the dairy products that they have. The dairy industry in Pennsylvania is a really big deal, and I, I don't think a lot of people understand you know, how big a deal it is. Agriculture by itself is the leading industry as far as economic revenue in Pennsylvania, Right up there near them is is the tourism industry as far as economic revenue. And in that larger scheme of agriculture, the dairy industry is the largest sector of the Pennsylvania agriculture, generates about over $12 billion of uh, economic revenue to the state. So that just gives you a little overview, Paula, of how big a deal the dairy industry is in Pennsylvania and why we choose to celebrate with June Dairy Month. And of course, here in Northeast Pennsylvania, we do have many dairy farms and people flock to them, especially when they are open to sell milk and ice cream. When we're talking about dairy products, there's so many to talk about, Dave. Well, there are. And, you know, you've hit on a little point there, Paul, about how things have changed and continually evolve on our dairy farms. More and more of our family dairy farms are trying to diversify. And instead of just selling directly to a a middleman that goes on to a processor, many of our family dairy farms are starting some little niche market businesses like cheese making. And some of them get into uh, making some yogurt. Some of our family farms are selling directly their milk fresh off the farm to different consumers. So there's some neat things happening in our dairy industry where many of our dairy farms are diversifying in different ways. Like you said, in the Northeast, there are a lot of dairy farms. And uh, as you drive down the road, it's, it's great to see those open spaces and sometimes even get to see those cattle out in the pit. Oh, absolutely. And when they are out Sometimes you have to be careful because they like to wander a little bit. So we want to make sure that people are aware of that. Yeah. My son has a, a and our family here at home have a, a, a farm where we have dairy heifers, young dairy cattle. 
That's kind of the farmer's nightmare when a cow or a heifer gets out of the gate or out of the fence and uh, does some wandering. But it is kind of comical because sometimes the cows believe the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, which is not always the case. And that's where we say move over. Oh, that was bad. <laughs> I'm sorry. Forget I even said that. Let's get back to the other. Now, one of the things that I've heard about, and maybe you can fill us in on this, fill a glass with hope. What is that? Six years ago, you know, our dairy farmers in Pennsylvania and a group of their representatives came to the realization that in communication with some of our food banks across the state, that milk was most requested items in our food banks, along with fresh fruit and produce and things like that. They were kind of set back a little bit and thought, wow, I said, there's so many people out in the country and the state of Pennsylvania that need some assistance with, you know, nutrition and things like that. And and there was an absence of milk in their diet. So there was a group of farmers that got together and they said, we need to do something about this. Along with uh, Feeding Pennsylvania, created a program called Fill a Glass with Hope. Like I said, it was about six years ago when this was initiated. And it's a fundraising mechanism where consumers and businesses can give money to Feeding Pennsylvania so that they have the capability of purchasing fresh fluid milk and giving it to their food bank clients. It's been an incredible journey over these six years. To date, there has been enough money and revenue raised from corporations and individuals to serve 26 million servings of milk to Pennsylvania people who need it the most. Just amazing to me also is when we first learned of this need, it's been noted that there are daily over 500,000 children in Pennsylvania that at times go to bed at night lacking the nutrition that they really needed through that day. So it's it's really been a journey and, and our dairy farmers are just thrilled to be able to be part of a program that helps to raise money for Feeding Pennsylvania to put fresh fluid milk into the homes and the refrigerators of their clients who really need that nutrition. So it's just been an amazing journey. I always tell people, too, that uh, although we have special events throughout the year that corporations and individuals can be involved in, if they want to do something individually, they can go to Feeding Pennsylvania website, feedingpa.com, and look at the pull-down tab for Fill a Glass with Hope, and, and they can make a donation. We also have, just coming up here in June, a real positive thing where a wise market statewide supermarket chain who has a roundup program at their cash register for Fill a Glass with Hope. It's been an incredible story about a program to fill a need and it just continues to grow. You know, I think a lot of people will drive past a dairy farm. They see the farm, they see the animals, but they don't realize everything that goes into it and everything that they are giving back to the community. So that's wonderful. Well, I think our, our dairy farmers are thrilled and, you know, it's just incredible. Everybody works hard at their job. And, and I just wanted to mention that our dairy farmers, cows and the livestock on our farms need to be fed and taken care of 24 hours a day and 365 days a year. So on these dairy farms, you know, although it's not the same individual for all that time, but there's a real dedicated group of individuals and families who are always working at taking care of those cattle so that our society and our commonwealth has the dairy products they need, whether it's fluid milk or it's ice cream, yogurt, or cheese. But it's just a, a great product that everybody enjoys in one way or the other. And here in Pennsylvania, you can look at a carton of any of those and find Made in PA. 
Well, you can, Paula. I often have people asking the question, how can you identify locally produced Pennsylvania milk and dairy products? It's very important that we support our local dairy farms and keep them in business by supporting and buying the products they have. For one, it's good for those farm families and our economies, but it's also good for us because we're buying the freshest and locally produced product. So one of the programs that the Dairymen's Association has been involved for a number of years and a number of other partners is a program called Choose PA Dairy. When that question comes up, how do I know if it's Pennsylvania produced? The consumer needs to go to that product, and and I will give the example of a, a gallon of milk. And if you find a PA preferred label on that product, that means that it's produced in Pennsylvania. So it's, it's kind of earmarked. You can look for that on different products, but the PA preferred label means that it's produced in Pennsylvania. And I would encourage everybody to look for that product and buy, buy locally produced Pennsylvania products. Speaking of which, when we were together back in January, I asked you about milkshakes coming to Northeast Pennsylvania. <laughs> and I won't tell anybody, but has that advanced? It has. I think there, there are some dates for our milkshakes on the move truck to be in uh, Northeast Pennsylvania. In fact, I believe in June, but I continue to encourage people to look forward for the Dairymen's Association milkshakes because, Paula, I think you had some and I think you would, you've enjoyed it and I know everybody else would also. I won't even tell anybody I got in line twice. <laughs> Anything else, Dave, that you would like everybody to know about June being Dairy Month? Well, I just want to highlight again that it's so important that people recognize how important dairy is in Pennsylvania, but also the nutrition that the dairy products provide for our nutritional needs. The calcium that's so important for children, for brain development, but also for the other 13 essential nutrient items that are in milk. In one product or another, there's a there's a dairy product that everybody can enjoy. And I just wanted to re-encourage everybody to, to buy a Pennsylvania-produced product. And while we're talking about dairy, how about ice cream? Scooped, an ice cream trail is back. No matter where you go in Pennsylvania this summer, there's an ice cream stop for you. And that includes several in our area as well. Log on to visitpa.com and search for Scooped, an ice cream trail. When we come back, summer arrives this week. We'll have some safety tips on Special Edition. Next on Special Edition, summer means outdoors, and that means extra safety. Dawn Webster, Advanced Practice Clinician Director with MedExpress, has some outdoor safety information you'll want to take with you. Dawn Webster's here, and we're getting ready for summer, and something tells me, Dawn, that you have some things that you want us to know. Yes. So MedExpress, in the summer, is busy, busy. Some of the things that we most commonly see in the summer are tick bites. We also see weather-related, warm weather-related issues like dehydration, sunburn. We also see general wound care, stitches, strains, sprains, broken bones, and then also other bug bites and rashes, not just from ticks. Let's talk about those ticks because, again, you're out, about, and then all of a sudden you feel something. What's the first thing we should do? So the first thing you should do if you find a tick is remove it. And the easiest way to remove it, if it's an area of your body you can access, is by using a pair of tweezers 
and grasping it as close to the skin as you can and pulling it straight out. You don't want to try any of the other things. You don't want to put oil on it or heat. You just want to pull it out as quickly and easy as you can. And then what? Well, then you want to wash the area with soap and water. And if you think the tick may have been in for longer than a day, so if you were in the woods, for example, two days ago, and you haven't been in the woods since then, there's a good chance that's when you got it. So then it would be important to worry about the transmission of Lyme disease. So what you want to do at that point is give your family doctor a call, go to MedExpress, let them know you had a tick, you think it was in your skin over a day, and you can take an antibiotic dose that will prevent the transmission of Lyme disease. Is it possible for a tick to fall out on its own? Yes. And so unfortunately, most people with Lyme disease cannot even recall the tick that they had or having a tick that may have given it to them. So how would you know that you had a tick? For example, when you get a mosquito bite, you get a bump and it's very itchy. Is there anything like that with a tick? Yes. So the classic thing you look for is a bullseye type rash. So it is a red circular rash with a central clearing. So it looks like a bullseye. And it can show up anywhere. It doesn't necessarily show up where the tick was. And it can show up on multiple parts of your body because essentially it's it's early Lyme disease. So even if the tick was in your arm, you may get that lesion on your leg. You may get it on your back. You may get it on multiple spots of your body. So unfortunately, you just kind of have to be aware. And typically it's not painful. It's not itchy. It's just red and you see it. All right, let's move on to something else, which is itchy, bug bites. What do we do for those? Because boy, they can really keep you up at night. Yes, they can. So the best thing to do for bug bites is to to try to prevent them if you can. So to wear a bug repellent. And unfortunately, if that doesn't work or if you, you know, got caught outside at at dusk and just kind of got bit up, then what you want to do is you want to try to take antihistamines. So those are the over-the-counter, the Benadryl, Claritin, Beartec. Those are going to help with the general itching. They also have topical products. So topical products sometimes have some lidocaine in them, which will kind of help numb the area because sometimes they're painful also. And then they also will typically have a mild steroid in them to help with the inflammation. Now for kids, you can also apply cool compresses or ice packs, and that's going to help with the itching and irritation also. And probably... Don't scratch. Yes, try not to scratch because that's what ends up getting um, the infected, the the infection starting is from all that scratching. One of the other things you mentioned, those sprains and strains, because we're out doing all kinds of different things. So when something like that happens, again, what's our first line of defense? So the first thing you want to do is in the summer, people just tend to get up and jump into that outdoor volleyball game. Always remember to stretch, especially as we get older, you know, our bodies take longer to warm up. And I don't know if you've ever heard of weekend warrior syndrome, but it's typically the the older individual that kind of jumps up and goes and cuts the grass or starts doing yard work and they hurt their back, they hurt their leg. So when when you get older, your muscles aren't as flexible. So even things that you wouldn't have necessarily needed to stretch and warm up for before, you're going to need to now. So essentially, warm up, get everything loose, and if something hurts when you're doing it, stop doing it. Don't keep pushing your body. 
And when we do get those things, what, again, what should we do first? Heat, cold? So it depends. It depends what type of injury it is. If it's muscular, so if you pull a muscle in your back, then it really is good to alternate the heat and ice. The ice helps relieve the pain, whereas the heat increases blood flow to that area, which is going to essentially help heal it. So it also will help with muscle spasm and tightness. So alternating heat and ice is always helpful. Now, if you sprain your ankle, for example, and it's swollen and it's bruised and it hurts to walk on it, ice is the best in that scenario because the ice is going to help with that inflammation and it's going to help with the bruising. You also want to keep it elevated if it's an extremity. So you're going to want to raise it up. So lay on the couch, pop your foot up on a couple pillows. And then if it hurts more than a day or two or you can't bear any weight on it, you definitely want to get it checked out. You want to get an x-ray, make sure you didn't do more damage than just a sprain or strain. And sometimes you may not even know whether you did or not because it just hurts and that's all we know. Anything else, Dawn, that we may have left out that you'd like to add today? The only thing I'd like to refresh people on is is sunburn. So always use a sunscreen in the summer, especially on overcast days. You don't always think about it, but really try to put that sunscreen on before you go out in the morning. Um, now, a lot of times moisturizing cream for, for women has sunscreen in it. So try to pick that up at least in the summer if you can. It's really best to use it all, all year round, but we really want to try to protect our skin from, from the sun also. And that goes for kids. Yes. And of course, if the situation warrants, dial 911. Coming up next on Special Edition, this Thursday, June 23rd, will mark the 50th anniversary of Hurricane Agnes. There's a lot about it, and we'll tell you where you can find it next on Call from Mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Special Edition. Marking 50 years since Hurricane Agnes this coming Thursday, Alan Stout is here to tell us about the upcoming screening of a 90-minute documentary film, Agnes, at the FM Kirby Center. We have a documentary film. It's titled Agnes. It was made to commemorate and observe the 50th anniversary of the Agnes Flood of 1972, which, um, as we all know, really decimated large portions of the Wyoming Valley, Kingston, Forty Fort, Plymouth, Edwardsville, Wilkes-Barre, of course, West Wyoming, Wyoming, Swartzville. And so all these communities were impacted tremendously by this natural disaster, which at the time, the President of the United States referred to as the worst natural disaster in the history of America. And and so it's something that, you know, we still talk about here in the, in northeastern Pennsylvania often. So we did a documentary to 
commemorate that, and it will premiere at the FM Kirby Center on June 23rd, and there will be two additional showings on June 29th. The 23rd is actually on 50 years to the day that the levees broke and that the valley was flooded. So it's the 50th anniversary of the flood. And then the other two showings um, also fall within the anniversary week of the flood because everything was pretty chaotic for that entire week, as you can imagine. And you are serving as the executive producer, but not only that, you wrote this and you're narrating it. How did that come about in your life? Once we decided that we were we had the right people on the team to make the movie, which was Tim Novotny, who was an extremely talented film editor and director, and Bob Savakinas, who co-directed the film, and both of those gentlemen had made other films uh, that I'm sure some folks have seen here in Northeastern Pennsylvania. They did documentaries on Rocky Glen and Hanson's Park and Angela Park. Some of them they worked on individually, some of them they worked on together, but they work as a team on a lot of their projects. And Tony Brooks from the Wilkes-Barre Preservation Society is our historical consultant. Tony and I had working on this project for quite a while. And two years ago, once Bob and Tim came on board and we knew that we had filmmakers who knew how to make a movie, Tim said, well, you're going to write it, right? (laughs) Because I, uh, you know, I obviously wrote for the newspaper for 18 years. I was a columnist and a reporter and an editor and a features writer. And since I was the one that sort of, you know, got the project started, uh, that fell on my shoulders and I was happy to do it. It was a really interesting process. And and Tim guided me through that process. You know, I didn't have to sit down in one day and write the movie or in one week. We, We did it in sections. And so the first section was the storm coming up the coast. And then the second section was the sandbaggers trying to save the valley. And then the third section was the boat rescues. And so you can put it together. That's how that fell on my shoulders. And obviously, I've also been on the radio locally for more than 20 years. Pretty comfortable in front of the microphone. And since I wrote the film and pulled together much of the material for the film, the, the videos and the photos, and kind of had an idea of how it should flow, I narrated it as well. We were able to run the whole project through the Wilkes-Barre Preservation Society, which is a 501c3, which actually helped tremendously with the fundraising for the film because people could support this film and have it be a tax-deductible donation. And so everybody had an important role. One of the things, as you were talking there, that's fascinating is the interviews, the photographs, the video, the radio and TV broadcast. Where did you get all that? You also mentioned that you have things that haven't ever been seen. There were about five books on Agnes that were published in late 72, early 73, you know, after the flood. And a lot of people have them still up in their attics. A couple of them were real hardcover books, almost like a yearbook style book. I remember looking through some of them when I was a kid and it was about 12 years ago, I decided I wanted to acquire them just for my own kids. You know, I remember Agnes, obviously I was a young boy at the time. I remember the evacuation and I remember the destruction and I have some memories of that. So I acquired the books and that's kind of where I started thinking about the documentary because there were great pictures in all the books. All the local TV stations at some point had done a retrospective on Agnes. Um, WBRE did one in 92, WNEP did one in 82, 10 years later. WVIA did a one in 97, 25 years later. I acquired all of those. Uh, they were they were kind enough to, to give them to us and basically say, we told them what we were thinking of doing at the time. So everybody gave us all the footage that they had and said, yeah, use it. All they, all they said was give us a film credit at the end and thank us. And, and so now all of a sudden we've got these books 
hundreds and hundreds of amazing photos to choose from. We've got all the video from all the local TV stations. We had um, newspaper headlines. People were giving us newspapers from 1972. And so you could see attempt to do something special that it really had never been done before. And then I guess the real sort of crown jewel for us for the film was how is Agnes covered nationally? If it's the worst national disaster in the history of, of the United States, it was must have been a top story. And so what we did was we reached out to the networks, ABC, CBS, NBC, and we worked with their archivists, and we acquired the news broadcasts from those days. No one's ever seen that footage before. Wow. And we acquired it. If you were curious, wow, did, did Walter Cronkite open the 630 News on June 23rd, 1972, talking about Wilkes-Barre? Well, yes, he did. Wow. He will see it in our film. There was also a record put out by WARM Radio. Yes, that was called uh, River on a Rampage. Yes. And we have some clips of that in the film as well. We use some of the audio of some of the interviews that were done. There's a helicopter pilot on the album flying over Myers High School. Yes. In top Wilkes-Barre. Yes. And he's describing what it looks like, that you know, the football field looks like a giant swimming pool. So that's on the album. What we did was we took that sound clip from the album and married it to photos that were taken of Myers over overhead shots from airplanes and helicopters so that it marries perfectly with the narration. So you have a helicopter pilot in 1972 describing what he's seeing combined with videos and pictures of, of exactly what he's seeing. That's what the goal was when you can pull all the resources together to make it into a documentary. And this is 90 minutes. And we mentioned in the very beginning that there's going to be a showing on the 23rd, but then there's now going to be one on the 29th. That was important to us. We wanted to mirror the film on the anniversary. You know, some folks said, why, why are you doing it on Friday? Why are you doing it on Thursday, the 23rd? Thursday, the 23rd is the anniversary of the flood. That is when the levees broke in 44 in South Wilkesbury. That's when 80,000 people were evacuated. That's a definitive day in the history of the Wyoming Valley. And so that's the day that we're going to premiere the film. Ironically enough, there is video in the film of the FM Kirby Center underwater. But what? what happened, Paula, was the it show sold, sold out. out in three days. <laughs> yes. yeah, sold out in just a couple of days. And so we, we called the Kirby and they were interested in maybe doing some more as well. And so we were able to get a date in that same week. So June 29th, there's a one o'clock showing and also a 7.30 showing. And that's the anniversary week of the flood as well. I mean, a matter of fact, a lot of the pictures that you're going to see in the film it's particularly in the middle of the film when people went back to their homes for the first time, we're right around the 29th. I'm sure a lot of those pictures were taken on June 29th. So once again, Alan, do you have the details on those that you can share with us right now? Absolutely. There are still tickets available. Like I said, the 2030 sold out. The 20, you know, we thought that the, the one o'clock show would be ideal for retirees and stay at home parents who might want their children to see this film. We, we want to take this film out to schools in the fall. The heroes, I, I tell everybody this, Paula, the, the star of the movie is the flood. It's the, it's the Susquehanna River. It was the big bad monster. But the heroes, 
of the movie are the people. It's a, it's an uplifting film. It's not a downer. You might it, you will walk out of there feeling I think hopefully very proud of our grandparents and our parents and how they fought to to rebuild this community. And, and then the seven thirty show will be over at nine o'clock. And so even though it's a week a work night, it's not a late night. Tickets are ten dollars. They're on sale at the Kirby box office or by calling the Kirby box office at five seven zero eight two six one one zero zero. As Alan said, when you see the 90-minute documentary film Agnes, you'll also see how different it was to cover such an event 50 years ago. Print and TV are sharing coverage this time around. Andrew Wyatt, vice president and general manager of WBRE WIOU, and Times leader media group publisher Carrie Miscavige explain. Carrie's here from the Times Leader, and we have Andy Wyatt from WBRE WIOU. You are partnering together to talk about the 50th anniversary of the Agnes Flood. And Carrie, I'm going to start with you. How did this all come about? That's a great question, Paula. Um, Historically, a partnership like this is not always done. So uh, when I met Andy, when he came to the market a couple of years ago, we just knew that we mutually respected each other's platform and media, and we kept talking on a collaboration. And this came up as the idea that we would work together on the Agnes anniversary. And uh, that's how it got started. Andy, it must be something especially for you because you may not have had as much of a background on it coming from somewhere else to be here. So what's your impression of all this? Wow. You know what? I tell you, I've been surprised at just how much it impacted the community. People still talk. You know, that's one of the common things I have found that everybody who went through that has. And I hear so many people talking about, yeah, you weren't here through the flood. And, and the way our building in particular was impacted, the, the floodwaters almost reached the second floor of our building. So the people at the TV station are, you know, constantly aware and always talking about it. Fortunately for me, I didn't have to ever go through anything like that personally, but I sure do understand the impact it made on the community. Yes, you're right, because you're right in where everything came in. And again, from not having been there, you must be getting, because I know a lot of the folks that were there in the flood, are some of them are still working. So what kind of feedback are you getting from folks when they're going through this old footage? You know, it brings back memories. I guess, you know, we, we kind of do this about every five or 10 years where we look back, we relook at it. But what we did with this footage is we sent it out. We found a few extra reels, sent it and had it digitally remastered. So it's now in high definition and um, it looks amazing for, you know, 50 year old film. And there's, there are, there's definitely some emotion when people look through this stuff. That's for sure. Carrie, how about in the Times Leader family? You must have, again, a lot of people who maybe not right there today, but they're getting back to you now saying, Carrie, I remember and I was there. What kind of an impact has that had on your building? There's a lot of a lot of memories and from people that still work here at the Times Leader with our executive editor, editor Joe Soprano. Uh, his home was affected by the flood when he was a child, and and he tells uh, not only the WBRE news 
stationed his story, sharing it with us as well in the newspaper. And it's just, uh, it's very emotional. And uh, you understand what some of these folks went through during that time frame. And as far as the Times Leader, we also were in downtown and were affected by the floodwaters. And uh, we have a, a great recap from one of our good friends who was in the building at that time. And just the, the, the recapture of that story of, of what it looked like and and how it affected people and how it affected our newsprint inventory, you know, really tells an interesting tale of, of the businesses that were also affected by the flood. And it also must give both of you a different perspective of 50 years ago coverage as in today's coverage of events like this because we still have these major flood events that that have happened. So how are you going to be able to translate all of this and how is it going to work? We've got TV, we've got print. How does that all come together? It's really amazing because we've got, you know, newspapers that are historically fantastic at writing long articles that go deep into detail. And um, then you got TV that is these little two-minute clips that are a minute and a half long clips of a story uh, with motion and video. And, you know, bringing those two together can really tell the story. So I'm excited that we're going to be able to show a story on TV where we recapped what happened. And then that same day or the day before or after, at least, you can read the same story from a different perspective from a newspaper writer about the same kind of thing. And that's going to be really, it'll be a really neat collaboration for our viewers and readers. Carrie, from your perspective, again, print, it's going to come together now with TV. And how is all this going to work? As, as Andy said, it's going to happen TV, newspaper. So we're actually going to be seeing within hours of each other, the difference in the coverage? Yes, absolutely. Starting on Sunday is when all of this starts to happen. You'll see an article in the Times Leader on Sunday about a particular story, and then you'll be also be able to watch the, the news channel on WBRE and WIOU and see a, a different take on that story, and that's what it's going to be like throughout the week. And both of our websites are going to be able to, you're going to be able to go back and forth between our website and WBRE and WIOU's uh, website to see the different coverage and there's going to be archival stories there and footage and, and hours of, of, of things that you can just peruse and, and browse and, and learn about the historic flood. And I think it's going to be really interesting for folks who uh, didn't experience it. And the other thing we should also mention is besides all of these daily coverage items. There's also going to be something. And Andy, you're going to be having a one-hour special? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, we've taken that footage that we had digitally remastered, and we've got we've brought in some people to help narrate it. We've got multiple different stories of different you know things that have happened. We've used the help of the Times Leader reporters to help put this together, and it's going to be really neat. And it's going to be seen in a way that no one's ever seen before because the footage really is pretty amazing quality for 50-year-old film. And Carrie, you're also going to counter with a print version. 
We are on June 19th. We will have a full special publication dedicated to uh, not only some of the old photos, but some of the new stories that we have uncovered that have not been told before. So um, we really expect that our, our readers and also the viewers of WYOU and WBRE will be uh, excited to to pick that up on June 19th. Well, it sounds like it's a wonderful collaboration between the two of you and Andy. I should mention that for your viewers, they can tune in to WYOU and WBRE and find out exactly when those are going to be shown. That's right. We're gonna we'll we'll air those multiple times. But go to pahomepage.com, and if you click on on the news tab in the upper left, uh, you'll see Agnes at fifty, and it's got links back to the Times Leader website. We'll be posting a little video clip every day as we go through this, so you can see in snackable size bits of that footage, and then you'll have all the information on when to watch the specials. And Carrie, your website for the Times Leader? Our website is timesleader.com slash Agnes. And on that site, we have all the archival uh, stories that we've pulled in, and it will be updated with all our new stories and, of course, links back, uh, as Andy said, to WBRE and WYOU, um, to pahomepage.com to highlight all of what they have as well. So just a a great uh, back and forth area where people can enjoy all of that content. And have I left anything out that either one of you would like to make sure that we mention to our listeners? I'm just glad that Carrie and I came together. I think this will be really important for the community. It'll bring back some happy memories, but obviously a lot of very sad memories for people too. But, um, you know, when people come together and they rebound after something like this, um, I think it says a lot for the people of this area. Yeah, I agree with Andy. Uh, it shows the resilience of this area. And we know this about this community, that uh, a valley with a heart that, that cares so much about helping other people, but also helping people get through tough times, especially uh, like the flood. Historically, there's been nothing like that in this this area. So. A lot of emotions, a lot of a lot of struggle during that time, and hopefully today, when when people read and see the the new footage, the new content, they really they really can look back and see how people help each other. And what a way to start a conversation with the younger people in this area! Wow, that was my house. Wow. Yeah, um, the younger folks have no idea what their parents and their grandparents uh, and great-grandparents went through during that time. So this will bring it to a, a reality for them, for sure. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 